Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Welcome to this podcast. Uh, my name is AJ Peterson. I'm Vice President and General Manager, uh, NetSmart Technologies. The topic today's episode is be the change or the change will be forced on you. So evolving interoperability landscape and how providers uh, should be thinking about how to play offense in this new age of healthcare data exchange and access. I'm pleased to be here with Dr. Joe Parks, Medical Director of the National Council for Behavioral Health. And we're going to have a discussion regarding the interoperability rules from the Office of National Coordinator and how providers should be prepared uh, and start thinking about playing in this new world of open access to data. So, you know, some of the concepts that are, we're thinking about are around standardization versus innovation or privacy and security versus interoperability, uh, which is really an interesting balancing act that we are doing uh, as it relates to interop and data sharing. So when we think about the hopes of juggling these kind of main priorities, such as patient access to health information while still protecting their privacy, the Office of the National Coordinator or the ONC has uh, published a final version of the 21st Century Cures Act regarding interoperability and information blocking. And they've taken it to the extent of the uh, health IT certification program, which has been updated as recently as May of this year. So what this rule is really doing is it's implementing new provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act, which uh, really includes parameters of compliance for health information technology that developers, IT developers under the ONC IT certification program. So the ONC is really also looking at for provider transparency to stimulate innovation in healthcare by really trying to minimize the development costs as well as timeline and friction to establish and enable interoperability in a much bigger fashion than it was before. So one of the other areas I think it's important to point out, specifically in this conversation, is that they really are looking, the ONC, to reduce the burden on providers and health systems and organizations by making the information, the healthcare information from the physician's chart inside of the electronic health record available to other providers as well as to uh, patients and consumers in the like. So the ONC rule is, is really are primarily based on shared decision-making between patients and providers that is ultimately promoting uh, better and more appropriate patient-centered care. So with that said, in kind of the backdrop, wanted to bring in uh, Dr. Joe Parks to talk a little bit about, you know, as this now kind of unprecedented access to data is going to be made available, you know, what are providers needing to be prepared for or what should they start be considering or should they really know about the interoperability rule? 
Yeah, so thank you, AJ. And I think this is a great opportunity because I think this is going to be the biggest change in how health information ha uh, gets done since HIPAA got rolled out uh, these 20 years ago. This is really huge. And it's going to, it's already passed. It's a done deal. There's no undoing it. And it takes effect in less than 24 months. The Cures Act, it takes effect 24 months after the Cures Act, and that was just last spring. So what's going to happen here is there's going to be there's a, going to be a requirement that any payer of health care in Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid Advantage plans, and also on the federal exchange. So it's not a requirement on the commercials, but I bet you they're going to follow because they always do. We'll have to make available to patients the information on their claims at the patient's request. This is a lot of information, and I'm sure we're going to see a great flowering of companies offering apps or website tools for patients to aggregate this information into their own personal medical records and dashboards. Now, this then is going to make it entirely different for providers like myself. I still see patients currently by telemedicine and telephone on a weekly basis. And when I see a new patient, I, I get the usual history, and then sometimes I send away for records, but I often don't, because by the time they get there, you know, you know more about the patient that's in the record anyway. It's very disappointing the way things work. I think in three to five years, when I see a new patient, I'm probably going to ask permission to, uh, I'm probably going to look at their information before I see them and have that history at my fingertips. I will see the diagnoses. I will see the providers. I will see all the medications that they filled going back several years and what pharmacy they filled them at. The Cures Act also requires that hospitals send a notification of admission transfer or discharge out to certain healthcare providers, the ones presumably the rule will be operationalized in a way that's the one the patient's seen most recently, whenever admission transfer or discharge occurs. So I'll start getting messages out of the blue that, you know, the, this list of patients got admitted yesterday and these two patients got discharged yesterday. And all this information is likely going to become rapidly consumable in electronic health records, in your EMR. So one thing as a provider you need to do is make sure your organization's in discussion with your EMR provider about where are they with the timeline, how are they going to handle this, what do they see, and really pick their brains about it. And, you know, when's it going to be available in your electronic health record? It's going to be a huge opportunity to do more informed care, but I think we're also going to have much more pointed and incisive discussions with patients because they're going to see all kinds of stuff they didn't see before. And they're going to want to talk about it, which will be good for them. It'll be good for us. It won't always be comfortable. Hmm. That's a great point. And it's two, two key points here that if we can take dive into a little bit further, you know, as you mentioned, there's going to be a growing number of or volume of data that's going to be coming at providers. And there's also the same amount of data is going to be coming at patients. So if you could talk uh, kind of a two-part question where they come together. So how are providers going to, do you see, going to be managing the amount of data that they're going to be receiving to make it really meaningful? And then also on that kind of that same front, you know, how are we going to educate or how should we educate patients to really interpret and understand the data that they're going to now be able to receive as a result of the CARES Act? Yeah, so that's really 
two different audiences. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have increasing requirements that providers have portals available for patients where they can look up their own stuff out of the provider's organization themselves. So I, I, I don't see any way for it to work comfortably until the EMR companies have programmed in some dashboards that get fed off of these claims database and these admission discharge summaries direct into the EMR, not in a PDF that's, that I have to click on separately, but something that ports that data over to live fields in my electronic medical record. So I will actually have an opportunity, I hope, to look up what the interim medical history was that's occurred since the last time I saw that patient and it'll pop up there for me. But that means then I have to schedule in the time to look at that each time. I think it's rapidly gonna become the standard of care that if you don't look at it, you had an opportunity to look at it. And I think within 10 years, it's gonna be seen as negligence not to be show that you actively considered this additional information that was available for treatment of your patient. Yeah, and I think that also to, to, on that topic, you know, the, 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 about integration, I think you're absolutely right. I think integration is going to be the key and how that data flows through the electronic health record in the workflow of the provider and really get to, you know, beyond workflow to knowledge flow. And a lot of the, the technology side of the rule is really focusing on a, a, a use of application program interfaces and APIs. You may hear the term FHIR as another technology mm -hmm. standard and what that means if you decode it. Traditionally, we move documents. We move continuity of care documents, CCDs that have snapshots of clinical data from a specific encounter or even an episode inside of a hospital, which there's certain data elements that could be parsed in as structured data inside of the EHR. But with this new use of technology in these API interfaces, it's really going to allow and enable for discrete data exchange. So if I'm working on a person and I want to just look at their, you use the example of medication history is a great one. Mm -hmm. um, how do I pull in the context of that person's medication history across many different providers, even pharmacies and payers into a single view inside of my electronic health record in order to do a proper reconciliation process. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I think what I'm excited about with the use of this rule is the kind of widespread use and adoption of the technologies that pass discrete data back and forth. And then the work will be with the providers and their technology partners of how do we make that data representative and be the most value for providers and for patients inside of a, a, a inside of a clinical workflow. And that's exactly the discussion that the providers should be having with their current EMR record company. Yeah, how are they going to do this? And you need to start thinking about your workflows and how are you going to consume and make use of this information and have a discussion with the uh, medical record that's supporting you. Uh, so the two mesh up between what you need to do in new workflows and what they can support on their platform. Yeah, perfect. And you know, and so as we bring the kind of the patient into this, I know there's a there's always an education process with patients on their clinical care, on you know what are the things that they need to do to be a participant as part of the overall care team. But now as they're going to um, start gaining greater access to their data, kind of what are the inherent, are there any inherent risks with that? Um, and how should providers and organizations be prepared to 
educate patients on how and what they should think of as it relates to starting to receive more and more of their clinical data in a consumable manner on their app of choice. You know, I think we're going to see a whole range of patient involvement like we always do. Some patients will not pay attention to this at all. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to get very engaged. If you have patients, and I'm sure the listeners do like I have, that come in because they've been looking at stuff on the internet and they got a couple questions about what they saw on the internet. Well, how much more likely are they to ask a question about something they saw on the app related to a new claim or diagnosis somebody else put on and may not have taken the, the time to discuss it with them? I'm anticipating that I'll start getting questions about what did this other diagnosis mean? What is this other medication for? What was this other doctor thinking? And sometimes I'll be able to guess and often I won't know. And sometimes I'll feel compelled or a little anxious or scared about, my God, how's this treatment interacting with what I'm doing? And I'll have to make that phone call, which is all good for reducing medication errors. But boy, I'm sure for people with multiple chronic illnesses, it's going to make medical decision-making more complicated. We'll get better decisions, but it's going to be more complicated and it's going to take some more time. Luckily, EM coding allows upcoding for higher degrees of medical decision complication. So when we think about in, you know, as we're educating patients, we're educating providers, we're working through the clinical workflows, if you could share some of the, you know, where you see value, where do you think providers would receive value with this kind of greater access to data, either from the provisioning of care perspective, but also as we're more and more of the reimbursement models or supporting care coordination and value-based care, mm -hmm. How do these models get accelerated or enhanced, or how does the access to data support them in these different endeavors? Well, I think the big value is going to be, again, on when you get a new patient in, because now you'll have access to a comprehensive body of previous medical history that it's not just hit and miss what the patient remembers. And they, they forget a lot and they get a lot wrong. You'll see what actually went on. Huge benefit for new patients. I think it'll be a bit benefit for patients who either have poor memories or are embarrassed by aspects of their illness and don't want to tell you everything just because they don't want to get into that stuff because now you'll start seeing it and then you'll have to help them feel comfortable in that difficult conversation. I think there is huge opportunity to meet the requirements of care coordination, new billing units like chronic care, complex care and Medicaid, the new principal care units where you can get an extra fee for coordinating and managing a, pay, a person's care across multiple providers. Because if set up properly in the electronic medical record, you can prove that you looked and acted on what other providers did by what fields you click on. If you acknowledge you saw that new treatment came in and you put a line in your note, uh, you've just justified billing principal care management or complex care management, potentially some other codes like uh, brief screening and intervention for risky drinking and treatment. There are all kinds of data documentation to not only do care coordination, but to prove you did it, which will end up getting linked to performance measures and will help you make your performance incentive bonus because providers, uh, payers especially, are going to want you to be all over somebody that just got out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. They're all about incentivizing transitions of care out of the ER or out of the hospital. And I think we're going to see a lot of billing arrangements where if you can document that as soon as somebody, you got that message, 
under the new rule that uh, admission, transfer, and discharge, that somebody was in the ER just out of the hospital, if you can show you do something, you'll get a bonus payment. And you can actually think those out yourself and propose them to payers. You know, it doesn't have to be just the payer's idea. We can come up with our own ideas. <laughs> no, that's great. I think it's, um, you know, that example, it's really utilizing this, capitalizing on this interoperability initiative in order to play offense as a provider organization. So not necessarily back on your heels and looking at this as a new requirement of my organization, but how do I take this level of access of data work on how to operationalize it within inside of my organization to support some of the initiatives like care coordination and value-based care that I'm already underway with in mm -hmm. order to recognize any upside opportunity or accelerate that upside opportunity faster, as well as go back in and have conversations with payers and, and in order to create a better contract for your organization based on your enhanced performance that you can deliver based on greater access to data. So that's a, that's a very interesting point on how you can tie this all together with your care coordination activities. Yeah, but boy, it's gonna, it's gonna require change. It's gonna require a lot of change on the part of providers like myself. I'm gonna have to do what I do differently. And I wanna urge people listening not to think that the way to handle this is to avoid it as much as possible and pretend mm -hmm. it isn't happening. That will be a failed strategy. And you're also gonna have to insist on change from your medical record platform. And it's going to be a heavy lift for both of you, but it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be an interesting time. Just to frame what a big change it is, you know, the default in confidentiality right now is in most organizations believe that they cannot share information unless they get permission first. Now, in most of the country, this is not actually true. If your state has no more stringent requirements than HIPAA, HIPAA allows the sharing of information absent patient consent between treatment providers, so you and some somebody else treating the patient, and even allows sharing of information over the patient objection, unless you have a policy that says you'll accept that objection. Mm -hmm. This turns, so the default is you haven't been sharing information unless you got permission first. Under this, you are required under this rule to share information unless the patient says don't share information. It changes what has been opt-in sharing of information to opt-out sharing of information. There are some exceptions, and you can read them on the ONC Technical Assistance website. There are eight exceptions, but it pretty much the only big one is if the patient says they don't want to, and your policy and state law gives them that, that latitude. But you need to really switch your thinking. The new world is an opt-out of sharing, not an opt-into sharing, which is going to have workflow issues in your medical records department unless you get it built into your medical record. I don't see any way for your medical records people to survive unless your medical record changes. No, that's a great point. I think that you know, there's two things here. I think from a technology perspective, the electronic medical record needs to have a robust consent management process in place so that it adheres to the model around the kind of the opt-out methodology of, of interoperability and data sharing, but also has the ability to adjust any of the exceptions that may be present based on state, based on person or program. So to ensure that only data is being shared when and where appropriate outside of a traditional opt-out model. So I think you're right. I think the flexibility and configurability of a consent module inside of the electronic health records is a big 
deal for this opportunity from more broader access to data sharing from a patient perspective. But I also think that it's going to be important that we're sharing um, and educating the patients on this new model so that they are aware of their of the the access that their data is going to be enabled to, but then also um, how they can be able to use that information themselves through their their own app as well. So I think and it's, they're, they're going to have point. a they're going to have a lot more questions too. I think That's it right. will drive us to use more of the care coordination codes because yeah. I, as the physician, don't have time to have all those conversations. I, I need to have a nurse or a health educator that's being covered under the care coordination codes for their reimbursement to answer as many of those questions as possible and have those longer discussions. We'll have more informed patients, but it's going to take time to inform them. And you can't pay, have physicians or even nurses doing all of it. We're really going to need to think how we can bill into that and how we can staff into it for the patients that want to have those discussions. Absolutely. And, and kind of as we shift into, you brought up a point um, in one of your previous comments around the kind of the standard of practice is changing from a provider perspective and, and how how they can stay ahead of that. So can you tell us a little bit about the standard of practice and what that means and, and how you see that changing as a result of these interoperability initiatives and greater access to data? I think there's gonna be a higher standard of care of what ex is expected of me as a provider looking at that data. Right now, I'm expected to ask the patient what they remember and what's gone on reasonably, but I'm not required to go ask all their individual providers periodically. Mm -hmm. But if there is this easy method of looking at what everybody else does, I think the new standard when we're five to 10 years out from now is going to be, I'm going to be expected to have reviewed and taken account. And if I didn't and I make a bad decision because I didn't know about something, I, I think there'll be some liability attached to that. And, you know, it's a little scary for me as a provider to have that extra burden, but it's very reassuring to me as a, uh, as a person who has family members with multiple complex illnesses that their healthcare providers will feel that weight and be looking more and thinking more about what their other prescribers and treaters and physicians are doing. It's going to take more time. It's going to be a bigger burden, and the, and the standard practice will change. I think as it changes, I think some of the billing opportunities are going to change. I'm fully anticipating that when I see a new patient, I'm going to want 15 to 30 minutes of time before I see the patient to read through and think about this stuff. And, you know, map out in my mind what I want to focus on based on the information I had before the meeting. And I think there'll be over time, you can already do that on E&M coding. You know, it's the total amount of time. It doesn't say have to be the time starting from when you see the patient. It can be before you're face-to-face -face as long as it was time spent on that patient. So I think we're going to have to rethink some of our scheduling and we're going to need to get retrained on how we make those billing code choices to support the standard of practice because I, I don't know, I'm going to, if I, if I get that right now, uh, when I'm working in uh, my health home or I'm working with a certified community behavioral health center that has this kind of information already flowing in, there are some places that have this, some integrated systems. I really feel that pressure to look at it and I feel bad if I don't because mm -hmm. I don't want to miss stuff. It's, it's kind of shameful. Yeah. And I think to, to your point, I think it's an important one as well. Again, on the, how do we take this initiative as a as an advantage inside of my organization and looking at it from the from an increased reimbursement perspective 
from the um, a higher level of complexity of decision making. So another opportunity where not waiting, <laughs> but taking yeah. proactive measures of how to adopt and really optimize the tenants of this role to, to increase reimbursement inside of my organization. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be tons of training offered. You're going to start to see uh, different webinars offered explaining this, and you certainly need to get more detailed basic education than we're able to give you on, on, on this brief event right now. But education will not be enough. You'll need some individual practice consultation on how to make these changes and how to change your workflows and how to think through it as a team. So if you if your clinic is limiting what they're doing with you as staff to educational events only and not sit down and get in the weeds and okay, what do we do different now team? You're gonna miss the target. You're gonna miss the target. So be looking for that and be pushing for that with your uh, leaders and managers. And kind of on that note, that kind of leads me into a, a question regarding, you know, operationally, there's going to be some operational considerations, many operational considerations beyond just clinical with uh, this new initiative. So, you know, what are your thoughts, Dr. Parks, on, you know, building out kind of internal KPI measures, key performance measures on providers and their use of their interop capabilities? Because as we don't you know, we, we need to we need to measure ourselves if we're trying to make a leap forward. So how would you think about kind of a measurement system or a visibility or tracking of how providers are doing with these new interoperability kind of measures? You know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, AJ. If, if you don't measure it, it doesn't get done. And if we're serious about executing something, we measure it and we benchmark ourselves and each other over time. And we compare how we're doing individually to the group and how we're doing as time goes forward. So I think the real opportunity here is it'll be easy to see what the new data coming in is. And there'll be some key screens that will be developed that'll present that, either new meds or new patient visits or uh, new hospitals hospital discharges or admissions, and it'll be easy to see who got an alert and who did something about that alert, who opened a page and looked at something, who entered a note. And I could see uh, two key measures. One is would be a prevalence measure of all my patients that had new incoming care coordination. What percent of those patients did I look at some part of that information? Did I actually open a web page and consider the new information? And, you know, for some practitioners in a practice, it may be 90%. For others, it may be 15%. And we can talk about that in practice, why we differ like that. Then I think the other one would be a intensity of action. For every patient that had a change, how many new things did I do? You know, how much did I, and maybe for some, it's it'll be uh, 1.2 patient actions per patient with a change, and for another, it'll be three actions per patient with a change. I think we're going to look, we're going to need to look first at some internal process measures mm -hmm. to assure that we're actually considering the information, because I think getting the process measure right should always precede getting the outcome measure right. It's good process mm -hmm. that leads to good outcome. You know, Toyota didn't make great cars just by rewarding people if the carburetor came out right. They looked at every point in the process of that carburetor. And I think for this initiative for care coordination, we're going to have to have process indicators that benchmark which on the staff are looking and not looking and train people up to a level of excellence in that. 
and then you kick the outcome in- indicators out of the park. That's exactly right. Exactly is is kind of the leading indicators uh, is what you focus on, more <laughs> then the results will 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 happen. And um, you know, it's it's a great point. I think that you know we focus a lot on from the interoperability rule and data blocking. It's all a technology play when. That's not necessarily the case. Technology obviously is a big component of it from an interoperability perspective. But what we wanted to highlight during this talk was, you know, we have to start thinking about policy, process, procedure, clinical workflows, patient engagement are all going to be key to the success of this rule. We can get the ones and zeros right on the technology side, but if we don't have the right process and change management, Um, and real looking at how we create value to the agency, to the provider, and most importantly, to the patient, that's where the the real work is going to be. And I think that's from what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Parks, is that's where a lot lot of our focus should be. Yes, we will will have um, the integration into the EHR, but we need to really make sure that we um, have good processes in place in order to be successful with this initiative. And really, if we're going to make all this investment, we need to have a good outcome for for us for and for our patients and client care. So, you know, one last thing, Dr. Parks, as we're kind of closing, what would be one takeaway or a piece of advice that you would give providers in regards to preparing for this interoperability initiative? I know we talked on a, a number of topics today, but what would be some key, maybe one or, or a couple of takeaways that you really want under individuals to take away from this talk? I think it's really contemplating how your view of practice will change with this flip of confidentiality being an opt-in, okay, I will share, to confidentiality being an opt-out, you know, you that you have to actively say you don't want to share to not share. And most people won't say that, and we don't want most people to say that, and that's going to turn our world upside down. I think the second thing is we all need to admit we haven't got this figured out yet, and we need to be talking with each other about it a lot. You need to be in discussions with your electronic medical record people, and you need to be in, in discussions with your staff. The other thing I think I'd give people is to stay focused. Just try and get one or two things done at a time. We've a lot of what we said probably sounds overwhelming. Like on performance indicators, I wouldn't go for more than two at once. I might make a point of contacting everybody after discharge from the hospital, and I might make a point of contacting everybody where I wrote a script and I don't see a claim that the medication was actually filled. You know, just two things. Don't try and do too much at once, otherwise you'll fail at everything. If you do one or two things successfully, you'll beat most people anyway. (laughs) <laughs> That's great advice. Uh, great advice in life uh, as well. Yeah. So I wanted to thank you, Dr. Parks, for sharing your experience and insights on this topic. It's become more and more of a priority for providers, vendors, and and patients to figure out how we play in this new world of mm-hmm. open interoperability networks and access to healthcare data and really how organizations and providers can play offense stay ahead of the curve. So thank you very much for participating for a great talk today. Thank you, AJ. It was fun, and uh, I look forward to talking with you about it again in the future. All right. Thank you, Dr. Parks. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others.
Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.